Hello, everyone. You're listening to Solving for X Season 2, a podcast exploring the workforce challenges shaping the federal government and the people we serve. We're uncovering new ideas from a rapidly transforming labor market, evolving technologies, new worker demographics, and a shifting global economy. We're bringing you fascinating stories, interviews with experts, and access to top thought leaders. We're shedding light on how the changing landscape of our employee experience is impacting the future of work and your daily life. Welcome. Are you ready to solve for X? Hello, everyone. So excited. We have two awesome leaders from LinkedIn today. So today on Solving for X, we have Kelly Finzer and Rob Whiteside. Both are senior account directors, and they're focusing on helping federal agencies recruit and retain top talent. And everyone out there listening, we know this is one of your top priorities. So welcome, Kelly and Rob. So much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. So our Solving for X tradition, we open with a fun question. What was your first job? Kelly, I'm going to go to you first. So my first job was high school correspondent to the local newspaper in my hometown. So I, I wrote the Finzer Files for the News Tribune from, I think, 2005 to 2007. Finzer Files, that sounds like it should be a permanent part of Solving for X. I love that. Rob, what about you? Uh, that's incredible, Kelly. I didn't know that about you. That's so cool. Uh, my first informal job was landscaping, mowing lawns and, and uh, collecting money from neighbors. My first, I guess, you know, official job was as a prep cook in the back kitchen of a catering company in uh, St. Louis. Well, you know, cultivating the ecosystem, the soil. I mean, our talent is really growing from the federal ecosystem. So hopefully you can bring in some fun nature or food metaphors in the conversation, Rob. So we are, again, so lucky to have you both. And you all are helping a lot of agencies already with different LinkedIn products and solutions. And we'd love to hear from a big bird's eye view. You know, you're helping lots of agencies connecting talent to opportunities and connecting federal talent to one another. So what are some trends that you're seeing at a high level across all of the agencies you're working on? Yeah, I'll just jump in real quick. I, I think the macro trend here is modernization. I, I think that's often why the conversation starts between us and our federal clients is they understand they need to get out of some some old practices, some some old habits that still have value, but they're just somewhat limiting. And they understand that uh, whether on the recruiting side or on the workforce development side, they need to sort of bring their strategies into modern day and better reflect actual you know, sort of job seeker experiences and, uh, you know, employee experiences. So that's really about, you know, kind of getting out of the post and pray and career fair only sort of approach on the recruiting side and on the learning side, maybe getting out of the, the in classroom training motions that have been in place for so long. And I would even add to that. So when I'm thinking about, so I would say modernization is the highest level. And then probably the two to three other buckets I hear a lot about are, first of all, we're thinking a lot more about how are we creating a diverse, inclusive government space for everyone, whether we're talking racial diversity, thinking about accessibility, thinking about veteran status, how are we reaching those people, especially if they don't know how to apply for government jobs. So one bucket that comes to mind for me also you know, our federal workforce is 
pretty senior at this point. Within the next five years, 30% of the federal workforce will be retirement eligible. And right now, about 7% of the federal workforce is under the age of 30. So how are we connecting with those talent pools where they're at? Um, and then I think on the professional development side, it's also, it's so easy to slide over professional development because we're all very locked for time. So how are we making it as easy as possible that when somebody has five, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, we're mm -hmm. plugging them in. And in a post-COVID world where people are maybe more geographically diverse than our government has ever been in the past, how are we making sure that the professional development opportunities are equitable, whether you are based at headquarters in DC or whether you are on assignment doing a special project uh, and you're out in the field? How are we yeah. creating equity, equity about around professional development? You know, a former colleague of mine at GSA would often, we would joke that training felt entirely like compliance. Therefore, no one wanted to do it, right? It was sort of you click through a training that was probably built in 1999 in Flash, and then you just check your email simultaneously. Whereas professional development is a whole world of amazing opportunity. And it's not about compliance. It's not about checking a box. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing. I'd like to pull the thread on the modernization bit. Where does the people modernization fall in all the digital modernization conversations that are happening out there? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. I, I think that's also um, why they often are trying to figure out new and different strategies, because in order to drive the IT modernization that is so essential for you know, operational excellence and, and just you know, keeping things run on time and, and bringing projects um, home sort of at the right time, on budget and everything, right? You need the IT in place. But IT is driven by people and operated by people and, and designed by people. So if you don't have the right people with the right skills in place, you can buy all the shelfware you want and it's not going to do what you need it to do. So um, we do often end up with our conversations starting in the CIO's office. That can sometimes be the first people that reach out to us to start these uh, back and forths about developing better people strategies because IT sometimes feels that pinch first. Um, there are a lot of stats out there about how fast we all need to be developing skills in all of our different roles to keep up with just, you know, the development of the economy and development of technology. IT, that treadmill of trying to you know, run faster to keep up with skill um, development is probably running even faster. So it is important to, if you're going to have IT work well, you got to have the people to have the right skills to make that IT work. Rob, are there any examples? And I know citing specifics within agencies is probably out of bounds for this. Although I know everyone listening is like, oh, what agencies are doing what? But speaking of this, the CIO shop, if an agency has a CTO shop, it's often the tip of the spear when it comes to learning and upskilling and up, uplifting, upgrading, you know, your skill set. Can you share any specific stories or insights you've, you've picked up in helping agencies in that space? Yeah, I think it runs the gambit. Um, you know, we we invest deeply in our content development and, and we are constantly creating more courses on a weekly basis. So I think we create what, Kelly, 50 or 60 new courses a week and also constantly pruning our library to make sure we don't have kind of dead wood, as it were, content wise, still floating around out there. Uh, but we invest most intensively in a few areas, definitely IT skills, diversity, leadership, things like that are, are some of our uh, most important priorities for our content production. But we understand that, that IT is, uh, you require both breadth and depth to be relevant as an IT skill uh, content provider like ourselves. So it can range from SharePoint to uh, 
SQL to Python. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also do a lot of custom content mapping. Uh, so like we map our content to the ECQ qualifications. We map our content to the NIST uh, cyber framework and all that. So we we, we try to sort of pre-digest a lot of our content. We got 20,000 courses, uh, which is sometimes can feel like too many, right? So you kind of need to make sense out of all that abundance. So we do try to, to map our content to areas where um, the federal government really is most likely to going to need most of our help. So so the NIST, mapping to the NIST framework is one of those examples that has been a real aha moment for, for some of my... And that is incredible. And the ECQs as well. Like, what kind of feedback do you hear from folks that are using LinkedIn learning specifically? And how do they feel about the learning that they receive? Like, what is the experience that they have? Callie, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. So the first thing I will say about our content is all of our content is taught by uh, people who actually have experience in the real world doing X, Y, and Z. So like if we are bringing in an Excel expert to teach an Excel class, that person uses Excel in their day job. It's not an actor. So it has the advantage of being able to connect with that person on LinkedIn and still be able to ask questions or put questions out to the classroom. So it it actually allows for more engagement. And then the second thing is that all of our classes are filmed in a recording studio and it's designed. So how you were just saying you felt like you were seeing a flash drive from the 90s. this is not going to be that experience. This is going to be much more of a polished, like good experience. It's going to be really engaging for your learners. And so then as I'm thinking about what does that customer experience or what does that user experience look like? A lot of people will come back to us saying, you know, I was able to get my leadership training on demand. I had to get to some public speaking. I was getting ready to lead a hybrid meeting. I was getting ready um, to uh, like, I, in terms of communicating across my agency, that's something that my some of my direct on reports are not strong on, right? I could pull in LinkedIn learning trainings and send that out to them. We're talking maybe an hour of their time and they were able to come it back and have their skills polished up and be ready to go to lead that hybrid meeting, to do that public speaking, which are two things we know are very concerning for most people and can be a little nerve wracking to plan in this post-COVID world. Yeah, being able to get that on the spot, just in time, just when you need it, and not have to commit to a a week-long seminar, because I know from the federal employee standpoint, planning leave and planning to be out of the office to do trainings is is challenging, right? And sometimes you do want a longer form learning experience, but my goodness, can you imagine just being able to pop up a a 40-minute training on how to deliver a better meeting experience? So that's super awesome. Um, I'd love to hear a little more like what you learned from engaging with agencies during the pandemic when everyone went into distributed form, you know, like that was a huge new way of working for a lot of agencies. Like, what did you start to notice, uh, Rob? Yeah, I, I think on the hiring side, um, what quickly emerged is that the career fair approach is very limited, right? And and I think career fairs are great, and it's you know it's a, it's a fine tactic having your overall recruiting portfolio. But I th- I, th- I think it forced people to confront the limited nature of career fairs, as a, for instance, for scaling your recruitment efforts, right? And if you think about a career fair, even before the pandemic, how many people are going to get out of their house, get in a car, go downtown, and go into a multi-purpose room? Right? Some will, for sure, but probably a very small percentage of the overall talent you want to engage with out there. I mean, LinkedIn has 
200 million plus people in the US alone, you know, almost a billion globally, which gives you just immediate scale at your fingertips, literally at your kitchen table, if you want to reach out and talk. Yeah. To the career fair feels like, like what we would do in like third grade or something. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> hey, listen, there's, there's nothing like face-to-face. And if you can talk to some great talent face-to-face and get some resumes, that, that may be excellent for creating um, some part of your pipeline, but as far as, you know, efficiency and developing a robust pipeline, a diverse pipeline, you know, maybe it's not, not the most effective tool um, to rely on solely. So that's just a, a, for instance, on the hiring side and on the learning and development side, I think it became quickly clear if we can't get everybody downtown and force them into a conference room and turn on a video for, for three hours, how are we going to keep our people sharp and keep them developed and keep them engaged? Uh, I mean, the number one driver of company culture is opportunities to grow and develop, right? So, so if you don't have that ability to help people feel like they're growing and developing, then your, your culture is in real, at real risk. And when the culture starts to go downhill, you know, then your retention goes with it naturally. So you got to keep pushing on that development and that growth, uh, driver for your people. Otherwise, if they feel like they stagnate, then, then they're going to go out the door. So the data point that you brought up, is that mostly an industry or is that across government as well? Like folks want to be able to learn and grow. Yeah, that, that's a general stat across um, all of our uh, client organizations. Just from my gut feeling, it is as relevant in the public sector as in the private. So much of this show is connecting the dots between the employee experience and the customer experience and customer can be interpreted in many ways. But the, for the sake of this conversation, we'll just say the public customers so tax paying customers why does it matter that employees learn and grow and increase their skills when it comes to customer experience? Like what's the connection there? That's what we're solving for here, right? Yeah, so I would say, first of all, we know that 50% of the skills needed to work in general are going to change by 2027. So if we are not investing in our employees, then we are creating a federal workforce that is not going to be able to do their jobs in what is that four years from now? So if we're thinking about how are we trying to improve the customer experience, the number one thing we can do is make sure that our employees, first of all, have the skills that they need to function today. Second of all, are pipelining the skills that they need to function for the future and also are able to figure out what those skills are going to be. And then last but not least, when we're thinking about how we're really serving our customers, it's helping them understand what does it even mean to be good in service, right? So like if you're thinking about somebody at a customer call center, um, like if my parents are calling uh, about Medicare or Social Security, I want whoever is picking up the phone to be able to understand what their needs are, right? So how are we helping the federal workforce prepare for that for that direct interaction with customers? Thank you for laying that out. And I'm, I don't know, folks out there, I'm like pumping my fist <laughs> I think everyone who's been on the show starts to dance around that, but Kelly, you just laid it out really clear and that you know, employees need the tools and access to knowledge to be able to deliver those experiences, whether they're, you know, delighting public taxpaying customers or meeting their needs or whatever level of satisfaction, it really is this employee is at the center. And I think, you know, on the show, we're trying to elevate that narrative because a lot of folks are hyper-focused on the customer experience. And if forgotten the employee side and perhaps we should reverse that narrative. So thank you. Um, Kelly, when we were having coffee earlier talking about this podcast, you were sharing a whole lot of insight around measurement. So how 
okay, let's say I'm an agency, I've invested in LinkedIn, I'm using it. Like, how do we measure the impact? Because my senior executive is going to want to see those stats, right? Like just hypothetically. Yeah. So for measuring impact, I think of it as being a three-tiered process. And it really, as you, the longer that you're able to stand up your learning program, like a LinkedIn learning program, the metric of how we're measuring success is going to change. So first metric I am going to be looking for is going to be initially, how many people are we getting into the product as soon as we're using it? So for example, I recently worked with an agency that has about 18,000 employees. And in the first six months to a year, we had about 6,000 of them come online. So that tells me that people are excited. They're getting in, they're coming in, trying to figure out what content's available. Second priority for me goes back to our last question. We were talking about skill development. First of all, we have to identify what the key skills are going to be for our workforce to do. But then we want to see that our employees are tracking towards them, that they're learning the things we need them to learn to continue to be relevant so that they're capable of both doing the job that they have today. And then for me... Metric three for success is going to be opportunities for internal mobility. And I would encourage people to take this as an all-encompassing definition of internal mobility, not that we're looking that you have to stay at the same agency for your entire career. We know that intellectual diversity is really great to be able to move between agencies. So how are we promoting those pathways to internal mobility within the government and allowing people to acquire the skills that say, if they wanna move from being an individual contributor into a management role, how are we making that type of training Mm -hmm. necessary to be able to make that transition available? But there's a lot of myths around industry and government and the lines there. Like I'd love for you to debunk some of the things you've heard or even we can laugh about some of the myths that are out there. Like, what do you think? There, there's some there's some kind of residual concern out there that uh, LinkedIn is an end run around competitive hiring practices, as a for instance. You know that uh, you know USA Jobs is often you know, the currency of the realm, right? That's where your jobs need to go up. At least a large amount number of your jobs need to go there, and that LinkedIn is going to somehow be an end run around that and somehow non-compliant. So I think that's often where we start is, listen, LinkedIn can fully complement your competitive hiring process. Um, Think of us as really where talent lives and spends their time and invests their time in their own professional development and their own networking. And it's really just where they go day to day to make sure they're sort of their best professional selves. We're gonna harness that audience and get your jobs in front of the right people to pull them into your competitive hiring process. So it's not a replacement, it's not an end run. It really is how, how can we make sure, make sure some of your necessary current processes work even better? And then we can also talk through, hey, how can we consult you and being, bring best practices so you can actually maybe get rid of some of your old practices that are, that are not efficient and not necessary. Um, and we can do maybe a sort of better, more direct approaches. Yeah, that's the USA Jobs it will always be the like official source of truth, but being able to promote through LinkedIn, you know, I get roles pushed to me and I spend a lot more time on LinkedIn than I do just cruising around USA jobs. So very helpful to know. Yeah. I think the other myth that's related to that is USA jobs is not known as a brand out there. Right. Um, that, so, so if, if, if your job, if your jobs have to be posted on USA jobs, that's great. Put them there. Um, but that's really just sort of table stakes um, because the, the vast, majority, especially in the private sector of job seekers and talents, just, they just don't know that USA Jobs exists. So if the job is not front of mind, I mean, I, I think about job hunting as often being like walking through the grocery store. If your cereal is not in the right aisle on the right shelf, it's not going to be seen. So they're just going to pick another box off the shelf. So if you want to 
have your cereal purchased, you know, don't have it hidden in the meat aisle, right? Like have it actually where it belongs around all the other jobs in the marketplace. And that's going to bring in the best talent to your process. Kelly, you're smiling. Do you have thoughts on that? (laughs) (laughs) I, I love the way Rob framed it. And I think the only thing I would add to that is um, we know the federal workforce is very comfortable using USA jobs to search for a job. But if I'm coming in from an outsider, like for me personally, before I started working with federal agencies on their hiring strategy, I didn't know the GS scale very well. So that would have been really hard for me to go to USA jobs and look for something that would have been level appropriate, skill appropriate. And so the benefit of bringing jobs from USA jobs onto LinkedIn is that people can search our platform in a place where they're already used to looking for jobs. So if somebody has worked in private sector for 10 years, they're used to using LinkedIn to search for jobs. So let's just put all of the federal jobs right in with the same place that everyone's used to searching already. And if I can add to that, Nina, real quick, um, yeah. you, know, you know, LinkedIn is essentially mapping the world's talent economy onto one platform so that we can create better outcomes for everybody across the world, right? That's our big vision is creating optimal economic opportunities for everybody in the global workforce. It's you know our big hairy goal. In order to accomplish that, you need everybody and every job opportunity on one platform. And then you're running AI and algorithms to met, match best person for best opportunity at the right time. So we, we've got all that AI built. We've got all that you know, terabytes of data structured um, and organized out there. And so we can make these best matches that can get you know, the, the right federal job in front of somebody who may have never thought about that job before. But when it's presented to them at the right time, right place, it at least gets in their consideration set and leaves that leads that candidate down a path that otherwise they would have never gone down. I'm feeling a little emotional. I mean, I recently had a federal role shared with me through LinkedIn and apply. I fundamentally apply through USA Jobs. Right. But it came to me through LinkedIn and it was such a profound shift. And when I was, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, of course, this is actually perfect for me. And it totally changed the trajectory of where I was headed. So thank you for <laughs> I feel personally impacted in a very positive way. So um, I'm hoping that happens to folks listening out there as well. Well, we are starting to wrap up our conversation. I'd love to end with a few final questions for you both. One is, you know, if one piece of wisdom around the power of working with LinkedIn, like what would you share with folks listening today? That's a tough one to pick one. But I think if anything, it's do your best to map your strategies, your human capital strategies to the realities of the candidate experience and expectations out there. So think about through the really think through the eyes of the individual you're trying to recruit out there. Who are you trying to recruit? What are they doing? Where are they? What do they care about? And speak to those individuals on their terms and the places where they are spending their time. And I think if you use that as your you know, kind of magnetic north, then you're going to find your processes probably change, your approach probably change, maybe your partners, um, as far as how you're executing your strategy, maybe those partners change. Um, Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the candidate experience and candidate expectation um, really kind of trumps all. Thank you for that, Rob. And I think highlighting agencies who are starting to think about employee experience from those earliest points of recruitment 
all the way through the meat and potatoes of their career, like what they're doing day to day for as long as they're in federal service to then exit and retirement. But just really thinking about that journey is really, thank you for highlighting the experience component. Kelly, what about you? I will speak to the employee experience part of it. You know, I think at the end of the day, going back to Rob's point earlier, we know that people want to work for organizations that they feel are investing in them and helping them plan their pathway forward. And I think giving your people the opportunity to say, hey, these are the skills I have today. This is where I want to go and helping them be able to leverage AI as a way of being able to plot that map of how I'm going to move from A to B is a huge way that we can both really empower the future of the workforce to make sure that we have the skills that we need, but also retain the workforce by giving them the professional development that they need to either be able to stay in seat or move up an organization. Excellent. Well, it is such a pleasure to have both of you on the show, Kelly and Rob, and we thank you for sharing how you're helping federal agencies recruit and retain top talent and really being partners in the modernization, both from a people and technology standpoint. So thank you so much. Great. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. All right. That's going to do it for today's episode of Solving for X. What is your big takeaway? Can you help us solve for X? Reach out to me, Nina Bianchi, on LinkedIn to share your ideas for future episodes. Or if you have an idea of a guest you'd like to see on the show, let us know. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.